to The Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Denham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode. If you've been with me for a while, I can't thank you enough for being here. It means so much to me. And if you just found the show, episodes drop every Wednesday morning. And I'm Helen. I'm a women's empowerment coach, meditation teacher, behavior change specialist, and I make music too. And this place, this podcast has truly become a sanctuary for me, a happy place, and really a place for us to explore what it means to be human, stripping back the layers of ego that we project on a daily basis when we're meeting new people and just kind of going through our daily lives, stripping back those layers and getting to the core of what it really means to be a human being on this planet right now, dropping into our bigger purpose and our bigger connection and ideally shifting our minds to bring us closer to our heart space and talking about tools that we have at our disposal to work to get to that space. And, you know, the people who come on are just such beautiful storytellers and each of them have overcome something difficult that that I really believe all of us can relate to in some way, shape or form. So today we have another amazing guest. We've got Emil Steenveld joining us. He is a transformational coach, thought provoking leader and public speaker. So his expertise is in showing people how emotions drive our behaviors and that the past is not left in the past if it's still present and taking up space inside our minds and bodies. Emil and his team coach people who are basically at 80% capacity and are ready to expand but might lack the confidence and the experience and or the ability to curate the framework necessary to get them to 100%. So these are the people who appear to have everything, that entrepreneurial, spiritual type kind of life perhaps bold and confident on the outside, but yet still unfulfilled on the inside. Those are the people that Emil primarily works with. And he also helps people who don't really know how to relax without feeling guilty. The people who don't know how to mend relationships with their children or their spouses or parents, the ones who constantly need to hustle and grind to feel purposeful, which I think a lot of us can relate to there and are unlearning, to be honest. Um, So using a holistic approach and experimental exercises and practical tools, he leads clients through wonderful curated programs, whether it's private one-on-one coaching with him or in one of his group mentorships. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you guys. Emil has such a, a interesting journey through the modeling and entertainment world and you know, then now arriving at the place he's in now as as a wonderful leader and thought provoking expert in his field. So I think you're going to gain a lot from this conversation. And he's just a wonderful speaker, really kind person. And I felt so inspired coming out of this chat with him. So while you're listening, you can find Emil on Instagram at Emil Steenveld and his website is emilsteenveld.com. And I'm at Helen Denham underscore and at the lifted podcast on Instagram. So hit us up, let us know what you're learning. And if you feel like a buddy might benefit from this conversation, please do feel free to send it along. And as always, thank you so much for being here. I love you. And I'll talk to you on the flip side. Well, the first question I love to ask guests is how do you like to start your day off? Do you have any rising routines or rituals that you like to go to? Yes, I do have a, I have my morning routine and it usually starts with 
um, first thing in the morning, opening the curtains, because I have the sunrise that actually comes from the back of my villa. So first thing I woke up around six, um, open the windows and have a glass of water. And straight away, my body's quite, um, it's so funny. I'm like, I always brag to my girlfriend. I'm like, I just literally have a glass of water and I have to go to the bathroom. I'm so on point with my body. And then um, I will come back and check my stats on my aura ring because I have a, a sleep tracker. So basically, you know, the aura ring, have you heard of it? I've heard of this, but I don't know how it works. Yeah, so I'm really big into hacking and, and how do I develop better ways and, and getting rest because, you know, my rest affects my moods, it affects my emotions, it affects my decisions. So I'm really big on like measuring those kinds of things. So the first thing I do is I check my aura ring to check how it gives me a stat of how ready I am to exercise or train or if I need more rest. And then it gives me another stat to show how much sleep I had, how much REM, how much deep sleep, how much I was awake throughout the night. And it's really good to see because you can see exactly if I had sugar the day before or really um, ate late at night, how that affects my sleep. And this is the thing so many people don't get is that we just eat when we feel like it, right? And I'm really big on like, okay, how can I get the best sleep? That means I have to eat at around 637 to make sure that like I've given my body enough time to process the food so I can actually go to bed by about 10, 30, 11 and get the right REM because you want to be asleep before a certain time, before 11, between 11 and two to be able to maximize the, the most rest you get. Mm. So after I check my aura stats, I go and sit on my, I've got a meditation day bed in my room and I sit and do my meditation and then I'll probably go to the gym or I'll surf. Amazing. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting that you're talking about food as well, because I think it's something that we don't often think and equate it with our sleep patterns. Um, but I am so with you there. If I eat, definitely if I have caffeine, of course, but like if I'm eating later at night, it's, it's a lot more difficult to sleep and I just feel groggier upon waking. But do you do intermittent fasting or anything like that? What are your eating habits like? Yeah, I do actually. And I've, I'm pretty big on intermittent fasting because for me as an emotional eater, um, even though I look fit and I train, I still emotionally eat. Um, when I feel stressed or when I'm having anxiety or, you know, and, and I got that from my mother. So I'm really big on intermittent fasting. So I normally eat at about 12. Um, that's my first meal. And before that I have glass of water or I have bone broth. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. that really just helps me stimulate, but not, um, nothing too sugary in the mornings because what I used to do is just, First thing we do is we go and have a smoothie or we go and have a sugar and the sugar makes us rush and then it crashes us. Mm -hmm. And that again, affects my moods, affects how I focus, how I concentrate. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear too about your upbringing. And you just mentioned kind of some patterns that you might've picked up from your mom. And yeah. I think all of us can relate to emotional eating at some point or another, but uh, it's interesting to see where the change happens and where we start to practice mindfulness in its place, hopefully. But um, to go back to that original question, I'd love to hear about your upbringing. So I was born and raised in Melbourne, Australia. 
Um, both of my parents come from Cape Town, South Africa. Um, yeah, my dad was in the printing industry, very traditional South African man, wasn't really open to expressing love or expressing emotions, hence why I'm an emotional intelligence coach and uh, transformational speaker. And my mother was a nurse and has moved into the psychology arena. So she's a psychologist now and has her own practice. And I've been kind of reading these books since I was a kid. Um, you know, the first thing I remember seeing as a child was a, there was a book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And that really influenced what, how I thought about things because I was quite a, a, an analytical child. Like I would watch everything and, and observe and, and see like, why do, why do people act like this? And why do people do this? And why do people respond like this? And, and also being raised by a mother that was into psychology, she was very nurturing and would explain a lot of things, but my dad didn't have the patience. He didn't have the emotional intelligence. He didn't have the um, mindset to be able to be there emotionally for me. He was very much, no, this is how it's done. And this is how you show up. And, you know, very much like the, the, the toxic masculine, but that's what he knew. Mm -hmm. So growing up in the household where one was one person was very inconsistent, I became hypersensitive to observing, you know, I'm a, if you know about attachment styles, I'm a, a fearful avoidant mm -hmm. and I'm mostly secure, but I became fearful avoidant because I had a, someone that was not stable, consistent with me. So I became very um, analytical, observe it, like I would observe things and I did that to survive. I did that to survive. Like, what am I going to get today? Ooh, you know, maybe I should be like this because as children, what do we do? We want to receive love from our parents. So what do we do? We, we be what our parents desire us to be in order to receive the love. So we're domesticated as children from the very get go from zero to seven. It's like, okay, if I do this, then I'm not going to get attention and love and approval. So I have to be this child. I shouldn't speak too loud. I shouldn't act out. I've got to just be seen, but not heard. Mm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. How do you think that affected your sense of self-worth in general? It affected it a lot because I became the, the people pleaser. I became the perfectionist. I wanted to get things bigger, better, because the more perfect it was, um, Helen, the more acceptance I would get. I would get mm -hmm. fed little breadcrumbs from my father. Um, and because I wasn't, he didn't like loud, naughty children, right? You just must behave, right? So I made it like a goal for myself to be seen, to be really good at sports. Like I played basketball to, to make sure I practice to, to show up. Um, I always remembered coming home and being like, I have to tell them something that I did good that day. Mm -hmm. for the approval right and then I noticed it as I got older I'm like what am I doing like I'm like oh that's the pattern the pattern is that I'm still seeking his approval mm -hmm. even after like 18 19 20 when I'm working I'm like oh today I, I signed a client or today I made this much money like I was still seeking and you know as children what we do right 
naturally what we do is like we learn a little trick as a child and we go look mom look at me look what i'm doing the trick and, and you cater your mom and dad to say yeah yeah well done it doesn't stop mm -hmm. we just find different ways to do it right yeah totally yeah i so noticed if, that in the holidays when they come around all the, like the the childlike tendencies come back to you yeah yeah so it, it affected my self-esteem affected my confidence I, I thought that everything that I had to do was built externally. And eventually what it did is it made me feel so disconnected from myself that even though I was achieving these things, I still wasn't fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So how did that start to shift for you? Did you leave your hometown and start going abroad pretty soon? Or like what happened next for you to start to kind of develop a broader sense of purpose for yourself and start going into that authentic direction? Great question. I wasn't the typical academically smart kid. I was, I had a, a hang up, a story about myself that I wasn't smart enough as a child. So what I would do is I would sabotage or I'd, I'd you know, play around because if I didn't try, that means I didn't fail. So I would literally, you know, Emil is a very lovely student, however, is easily distracted. You know, and I am that creative kind of person. Like I need to focus. Like I literally in my studio, I have a whiteboard here. I got a whiteboard there and I got a whiteboard over there. Like these are my saviors because I am a creative person, but I can get easily distracted and pulled in different directions if I'm not careful. So growing up, you know, I typically the first thing I wanted to do was make my parents proud. So I started to, it's funny, I started working in a bank and I was going to work and I was wearing a suit and on the weekends. I was working in clubs and I was promoting events and like live acts and stuff. But the funny thing is, Helen, I loved the social and connection part in the clubs, but on the weekdays, I'm working in a bank, hating it yeah. because I wanted the approval to show my parents that I'm doing good and look at me and, you know, I'm being respectable, but I hated every day. Like I literally... I hated the job and eventually it got to the point where I was like, well, what else am I going to do? I can't keep working in clubs. And I got asked to, um, when I was working in the club scene, I got asked a few times if, if I was a model, if I wanted to do a, a fashion show in the, in the club. And, and I remember doing it for the first time. And I used to consider myself someone that was quite shy, but it wasn't true. I was actually just not confident. Mm -hmm. And because I labeled myself as shy, that's how I showed up. I'm like, I'm just a quiet person, and, you know, and I, I still am. I'm, I'm introverted, but because I'm confident in what I do, I know I can go on the stage and speak, but I know that I need my space after. And what's interesting is that I ended up saying yes to the modeling and giving up the clubs, giving up the, the bank and pursuing a modeling career and it's so interesting how everything that happened to me in that modeling industry happened for me because i was so shit scared of rejection i was so scared of people not like accepting me like i was a perfectionist i had to get it all right i had to make sure that you know if i tried something that i was going to win at it or not at all mm. and the modeling industry is so uncertain I, there's no guarantee and it's 95% rejection. So the universe goes here, Emil, 
let me drop this on your plate. And the first time it dropped it on my plate, I said, no, 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 I can't do that. And I said, no. And I got, I got asked again from another agency. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not ready yet. I need to be more muscly. I need to be this. I need to have this. And like, I'm making every excuse under the sun because that's what we do, right? Mm-hmm. You want, I was playing safe and I was trying to make sure that if I did this, that I was going to win. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's a typical perfectionist, right? Don't put yourself out there. Don't risk. Don't look silly. You know, you don't want to embarrass yourself because I didn't actually love myself. I didn't accept myself yet. But what the modeling industry did teach me was that I w- I'm not just my looks. I'm more than my looks. And it taught me that I was a product. And it got me in the space of going, okay, well, I remember going to my first casting and seeing these models walk up and down a runway. And I was like, this is so weird. And there's a judge at the end of the runway. And, you know, they, they're like, okay, cool. Thanks. And they're like, where are you from? And they ask you a couple of questions and then that's it. And you walk out and you're like, oh, that's it. And in my head, I was like, okay, well, how am I going to get them to remember me out of 200 other models? What's the difference between me and everybody else? And I still ask myself this question today and the, the people that I train, like my coaches, I'm like, what's the difference between you and every other coach in the industry? What is the unique thing that you have that you can bring to the table? And I started listing and, and making all these, you know, these details like, okay, well, there's not many um, models in Australia that are South African. There's not many that are, you know, come from this background or had these experiences. And I made it a point to connect in the first five seconds with the person that was casting me so that they would remember me. And I would, I would always make it a point that I'm like, I'm going to make it the easiest casting for them they've ever had Mm. right because if i am the easiest person that that i've they've worked with that day they're going to be like oh i remember him his energy was easy he was on point he showed up he knew his angles boom boom boom. and that's the kind of person that you want to work with right so i literally got really good at opening closing communication skills i learned how to sell myself and you know what's funny Helen is that you could be the best in the industry you could have the most skills you could be the most confident but if you can't talk to someone and enroll them in who you are it's a waste of talent Mm -hmm. so long story short went from modeling in Australia to doing my first trip in Hong Kong as I went on got more confidence I'm like okay if I can do this maybe let me go to I went to Singapore, I needed to get more tears and editorials because my mindset was going, well, we're the best models in America, in New York. So my mindset was like, well, I need to build my book, you know? And it just, it was one step. Like, you know, like they say, take the first step and the next step will reveal itself. That's exactly what happened for me. It just went from one thing to another. And all of a sudden I went from Hong Kong to Singapore. All of a sudden I built my book, got more tears. And then I went to LA, got signed with an agency in LA, and then went from LA to New York. Next thing, I'm doing New York Fashion Week. I'm traveling around the world. I'm doing fashion shows with like Neo, Macy Gray, um, crowds of like 3,000 people. Um, but what's funny is before I got to there, when I got to New York, when I was in LA, Helen, it didn't go as planned. 
you know, you, you think, oh yeah, you just went from here to there. It didn't go like that. It went like this, like that, that's like that. I literally had one of the hardest years of my life in LA. And I'm talking, it looked great from the outside. Emil's in LA, he's, he's, he's um, modeling in LA. Look, he's traveling around West Hollywood, all this kind of stuff, has a nice car, but I was broke. And I was broke because the recession hit in 2007, all of a sudden the jobs stopped coming. And I'm working three jobs. And I've never been broke before. So all of a sudden I went from, I'm confident, I'm working a lot in Hong Kong, I'm getting tears in Singapore, all of a sudden I'm feeling myself and then I get to another country and it stops like that. And where's my confidence going? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden I'm not confident. And then guess what happens when the confidence starts? I stop getting fit externally. The self-doubt starts creeping in. The second guessing starts creeping in. Ooh, I don't know if you can really do this. Ooh, I don't know if you're the right person to be here. Are you wasting your time? This is embarrassing. The mm -hmm. ego starts talking. Mm -hmm. And you know the ego's job is to protect. Mm -hmm. It's to keep you safe. It's like you've made a mistake. Now you're wasting all your money. And now you've got to ask your parents for money. You're a grown man. And you're asking your parents for money. The shame, Helen, and the mm -hmm. guilt. Mm -hmm. And I remember working three jobs. Like I was working at the front of Aber Abercrombie and Fitch. I'm working another job. And I meet for $8, by the way, $8. Mm. Just so I can get insurance money in case I get sick. Then I'm working at uh, another job called Beautiful Bartenders where they only hire models. So I'm going around. I'm literally like this LA scene going around holding champagne at events for like Tory Burch or like Bar Mitzvahs. And um, this is my life. And I'm like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was a reality check where I had to ask myself, like, how long do I want to stay in this space for? And I remember getting to the point where I had $17 in my account. I couldn't even take out a $20 note in the bank. I'm waiting for checks to clear. It's stressful. Clients are not paying me on time and I need to pay certain people. And I need to pay off my car. And I remember waking up at my buddy's house and because I, I moved out of my place and I'm staying at the, on the couch of my buddy's house. And I wake up the next day to go check where my car is and it's not there. And mm. it's been repossessed. And my gut just fell like I'm here. I am going, I'm going to be this model, this actor, this, these massive dreams that I had. And all of a sudden my car has been repossessed and the amount of shame that I had from that, mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to New York. And I got an agency in New York and I started new and I just worked out my budget. And this is a beautiful thing about when you go through hard times is that there's always a beautiful lesson there. If you go and look for the lessons, right? And my lesson was not to spend money 
um, carelessly until you know the situation because you're going to always work differently in different markets. But because I worked really well in Hong Kong and Singapore, my mind naturally was like, well, Emil, you've worked great in these other markets. You shouldn't, why wouldn't you work really well here? And uh, I went to New York. It was a lot better for me there. I ended up signing with an agency called Major Models. And I was more accepted in New York because of my, like they didn't really know what I was. They didn't know how to put me into a category, which worked really well, like ethically ambiguous, you know, they were like, so I worked a lot better in New York and I started to enjoy myself again. And from there, it was coming up to about a year and a half being in New York, just on fashion week, um, traveling around the world, um, traveling around the States, um, doing some other big shows for them. And one of my friends is asking me if I wanted to come to India because I just shot a campaign with her and she's like, oh, I just got to India, you should come. And I was really into yoga at the time. So I ended up going to India um, just before I left though. I just fired my agency in LA and I fired my agency in New York and I just signed with a new agency called Wilhelmina Models, which is like one of the top agencies in New York. And they were redoing my visa because I, you know, you can only have a three-year visa. And just before I left, the woman says to me, please make sure you don't go to an ashram and grow a beard and not come back. And I was like, that would be funny, huh? And I went to India, it was only meant to be three months. It, tends, it turns into two years. And I ended up spending, coming back to myself when I went to India. I ended up coming back to the simple things and the gratitude. And this is why I am where I am today is because what I was doing in America was I was focusing on the outside thinking that when I become famous, when I earn more money, when I have this, when I have that, then I'm going to be happy. Then I'm going to be fulfilled. And we all do it. It's, it's the whole classic thing. Like you've heard Jim Carrey say, I wish and hope that everyone becomes famous so that they realize that that's not the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being in India and seeing kids on the street with nothing, like, but they're happy. And then I'm living with my friend who is a Bollywood star there now. And she's telling me about how horrible it is, how people are making up stories about her, how she's, and she's earning so much money, but she's not sure if she wants to be there. And I'm like, what's happiness? What is fulfillment? You know, and I use this time in India to really reflect and reconnect with myself. I ended up doing my yoga teacher training there. I ended up going to Le Ladakh, which is like close to the Himalayas and doing like a, a Vipassana, which is like a silent meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I traveled all over India. I went from the South down to Kerala, Pondicherry, um, Pune, Goa, like right up to the North to Jaipur, um, Delhi. I literally did so much traveling and reflection and the beautiful thing that India taught me was the attitude of gratitude coming back to the simple things coming back to meditation 
right? And um, that's when I started studying again. I started studying my yoga, my, I did my yoga teacher training and then I did my Reiki there. And then I started uh, studying my life coaching course, which was an online course. And I was determined after when I got to India, I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna wait for an agency or somebody to tell me that I'm worthy enough to work. Mm. I'm tired of waiting for people to give me permission to earn money. Yeah. Mm, so powerful. Thank you so much for being so transparent about that too, because I think money is one of the most triggering subjects for people. And in our society, it's so much about, you know, making money and getting famous. It's a very American kind of mindset. So I think it's such a privilege to be able to travel like that. And it's so important if we can do it to just get out of our bubbles in a way. And I can so deeply resonate with your story. I modeled just for a, a little bit in New York, but it was too much on my self-esteem. And I remember having a very similar thought process. Like if I want to take beautiful photos, if I want to get into this certain shape, I can do it myself or, or bring together a team to do it. And it was a very empowering like shift to go through that and just kind of take my sovereignty back and stand back in my power. But I'm also curious to know when you were going through these, you know, kind of this dark night of the soul, if you will, when you were really struggling, did you have mental health practices in place already? Or were you still becoming kind of familiar with how to take care of yourself emotionally? You know what I, I was already doing self-development back then. Like I was, when I first got to LA in 2007, I was studying life coaching, like, which, and everyone was like, what's that? <laughs> yeah. When you think about it, it's like 15 years ago now, 2007, you know, and even though I've been reading the books and I've done my, I did the first few seminars, I still wasn't, I still was having um, breakdowns. It was mentally tough because I've never been in that kind of position before where I'm like, oh my God, I can't afford to do that. Or I can't actually go out and buy that and that to me felt emotionally restricting right i felt like i grew up in a house where my parents like worked really hard they even when we went through tough times i remember my father losing his job and he went from the printing industry and and managing that and traveling around the world for the printing industry to um brick cleaning but the one thing i do remember is that he always provided he may have downgraded his car. We had a fancier car. He had to sell that and he got a $5,000 car. And I remember he still took me to my basketball games. He still took me and made sure that I was provided for. And that showed me ethically what it means to like, what is actually important, right? We could have the massive house, but we might not have the energy and the feeling of a home in there. Mm -hmm. And then you can have a small home and you can have the love and the connection and the intimacy, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think so many of us get it, get it twisted. It's like, we always want what we, what we don't have. And it's like, you wish that you had that. And then you're like, now my health is fucked. You know, so mm -hmm. I think for me with, with my parents, they really were solid leaders for me to be able to go, okay, well, what's important here? You know, and, and not to miss the point because with anything, if you wanna create, if you wanna build a business, if you want to expand, if you want to go to the next level, 
you've got to start off with simplicity. I think simplicity is key if you want to be free. Hmm. But if you're, if you have these standards and you're like, I'm not going to be happy until I'm here, you're restricting your, your creative flow, that genius to come out. Mm-hmm. And actually when I got to India, that's when everything opened up 10 times more, because all of a sudden, what do we do is naturally is we compare, we compare to the person next to us. Oh my God, that person has that car. They drive that, they have that house. They live here. They do this. They, you know, they go to that gym. We, we compare and we compare to see if we are superior or inferior based on what we're comparing it to. So the ego loves this, right? Cause it's a drama that the ego loves. If I'm comparing to someone that I am doing better than, then my ego props up and goes, well, yeah, I'm doing naturally better. I should feel better about myself. But if I'm not doing as good, then my ego goes, ooh, I'm going to point out all the things that you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah? I'm going to point out your pain point spots. Now, when I got to India, it got me to reflect on a deeper level because I'm seeing both ends of the story. Like my friend is in Bollywood, so I'm meeting Bollywood stars. And I'm also, I end up, I ended up getting an agency there and modeling and I'm noticing that I don't, I'm not, I wasn't there. My purpose wasn't there to earn money and, and make it. It was just to take a break. And because I, I wasn't focusing on that, I ended up booking an actual big diamond commercial the first week. And I was like, oh, but I wasn't focusing on it. I wasn't like, oh, I need this. Otherwise, I'm not going to survive. Mm-hmm. Versus when I was in New York and LA, I was like, I need to make money. Otherwise, I'm literally not going to survive. Mm-hmm. one was coming from fear and the other place was coming from fun and value. Mm-hmm. So I took the pressure off of like, I have to get this because I wasn't creating from desperation. And, you know, as a, a former model, if you are feeling weak or vulnerable or, or not in a confident space inside, that's going to trans, transfer right onto the camera. 100%. Oh my gosh. I wish I had had the mindset that you had going in. I love that you made like a list of what you do bring to the table so that you yeah. went in there with that. You were already there. I think I was, I was just at a, that was a, a different lesson for me, but mm. um, I love that. And, you know, I'm curious too, to know how you set goals for yourself now without getting attached to the outcome. Cause I think goal setting is such an interesting thing to, to work through and just, make sure that they're attainable because I think it has a lot to do with our self-efficacy to set them, um, you know, at a rate that we can accomplish them, but without like feeling like we're a failure if we don't hit our markers or how do you perceive that? How do you work with goal setting? Well, it's interesting you say goals because as a recovering perfectionist, I try to focus not on the outcome, but on the process. And how do we build confidence? We build confidence by practicing the thing, the skill over and over, looking at it again, modifying it, practicing it again, looking at it again, modifying it. So we go in this circle, right? Mm. And how do you get confident in anything? It's, it's practice. So if whenever it's like, if, if the goal is to blow up, what's funny right now, I'll give you a relevant example. I've just started doing reels on Instagram, right? And I hated, like last year, I think I posted four times on Instagram, right? This year, I made a declaration to myself that I'm going to post way more consistently, and I'm going to start giving more value on Instagram. And I'm because I'm also launching a coaching 
program and, and people need to see more of me. And, you know, when I do these kind of interviews, I love doing interviews because it's just so easy. We can talk back and forth, but I have to talk to a camera. Like my natural mind goes, Oh my God, you know, you're <laughs> in your head, you're trying to get perfect, all these things and thoughts yeah. come up. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just posted a reel today and it was really interesting because it's the, the second reel I posted, but it was a reel where I was playing a character and I was playing a woman and I had a wig on, and, <laughs> you know, and it, the whole point of this, Helen, was to get out of my comfort zone and have more fun because one of my values is fun. Good. Mm-hmm. So the goal was not to go, oh, I need to get this reel to go viral. The goal was to go, okay, how do I get really confident in front of the camera, telling a message, telling a story, educating people on on this platform because the only reason why i'm doing reels is because reels is blowing up more and getting more reach than anything else mm-hmm. so there's a saying by james clear he says we don't rise to the level of our goals we fall to the level of our systems mm, i love that right so now in my head i'm like okay well who are the people that i want to be playing at what level they're playing at and I'm like watching because success leaves clues so the goal is not to be like them the goal is to go okay how can I be how can I make my build up my reels to the point where it's getting thousands and thousands of views and I have to ask myself what's the point what's the intention of the reel is this entertaining? Is this educational? Is this, I, I have a purpose now. Mm-hmm. So with my goal setting, it's not always about the outcome. It's about going, okay, this is the process. And it's going to take maybe 50 reels before I start getting really, really good at it. Mm-hmm. But I have to put in the energy and the effort and I have to recognize it and get feedback to see what people are responding to, tweak certain things, but make sure I'm staying in my lane. Because the goal is not to get feedback to the point where I'm like, oh my God, Emil, you're so good. Or, oh my God, we really loved it. The goal is to go, how can I help educate more coaches, more entrepreneurs, so that they can literally come to the page and go, you know what? Every time I come to his page, I get some really good value and I can apply that to my, to my life right there and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you were saying earlier too, about emotion and like having fun with it and having that be super transparent through the camera. I love that you were just like dressing up and having fun because I feel like that's what people stop to watch and resonate with. And it gives us permission to also experiencing the same joy that we see and and it hits on a different level. Yeah, it did. It really did. It was really interesting because it was a little bit nerve wracking because I'm like, okay, I'm about to do this. Like, (laughs) I'm about to step in as a woman and play this and allow people to see this other side of me because I really do, Helen, I have another side of me that is goofy, that does voices, that like, like you heard of Stewie Stewie Griffin from Family Mm -hmm. Guy. It's like, oh, Brian, uh, how you doing there, buddy? Uh, Yeah. yeah." (laughs) You know, like I can play into these different characters, but I don't allow myself to see that, people to see that because... I was afraid of what people would think, mm-hmm. you know, and as I'm getting older, like I'm about to be, I'm 39 this year. I would, I'm starting to really let go of what people think 
And the more I get into this, allowing you to see other sides of me, it's, it's just an indication that I've, I'm accepting parts of me. I'm accepting the shadow parts that I was embarrassed to show before. Mm-hmm. And if people like it, they like it. But my message is clear. It's like, it's to impact more people in the world and build more leaders. Mm. Yeah. And side note, I think that's why TikTok blew up so much because it's taking away this like filter of like Instagram has turned into this also still a beautiful platform for business, but like much more curated. And I think what hits about TikTok is that people just get like first they roll out of bed and they talk to the camera. There's a humanness to it that is is really transcendent. And I think it also mirrors kind of a more global and secular idea of how we're moving forward as a society and coming back to to that place of alignment and love and celebration of one another and like letting down all of these like barriers and walls that keep us from truly connecting to one another. Yeah, it really is. It, and it, and it's such an interesting thing because my perfectionist side was like, Oh, it has to be like this and it has to be like this. And that's what's beautiful about TikTok is that I shot it on my phone and I don't need, like I have video equipment in here and I'm like, I don't need that, mm-hmm. you know? And this is the beautiful thing. It could be fast. It could be simple and to the point. Yeah. It reminds me of like, you know, the power of vulnerability, Brene Brown's work, you know? So how do you find like moving into your leadership work and your coaching work, where does vulnerability come in there? And how do, how do you apply that when you're, when you're teaching and when you're coaching? The fastest way to connect to your client is to be vulnerable. It's to show that you're not perfect because what that shows is relatability. And if you can show, if I can show you that, like, yo, I struggle with self-esteem, I struggle with confidence, even though I was a model, I did not like myself, right? That's relatable versus, oh, I had my shit together from the start. It was easy, Mm -hmm. right? Who's going to relate to that? Um, I would share about my father's journey because how many of us have hangups or bad relationships with our parents? How many of us still resent our parents? I resented my father for years. There was a time where I didn't talk to him, where I said to my mom, you know what? If you leave him, I'm coming with you. And I felt nothing, Mm. right? These wounds, like vulnerability is power. The beautiful thing about vulnerability, and it's actually I shared in this reel, is that everybody's like getting told, you should be more vulnerable and just share it on screen. But if you haven't learned the lesson yet, and taken those learnings and applied it and practiced it and gone through it, then you shouldn't be sharing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you shouldn't be sharing it because if you go out and just be vulnerable and show that you're crying or showing that you're going through shit on, on social media, what people are going to see is they're going to see someone that needs help. They're going to be like, are you okay? Naturally, we want to sympathize and be like, oh, are you okay? Um, what's going on? And that's not giving value to the audience. Mm-hmm. So I only share what I'm, what I, and, and I'm only vulnerable if I've gone through it, if I know it's going to help my client. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm just talking about me. And that's not about, and that's not the point. Right, right. It's like a bid for affection in a way. Yeah. How did you work through, um, you know, everything that was going on with your father? How did you hit a point of forgiveness if you have reached that point? 
Alright, taking a quick break here because I wanted to chat with you guys about something. If you have been feeling stuck in a particular area of life, or maybe you've set the intention to make a shift and move forward in a big way, but haven't quite been able to bring that goal to fruition, well, changing our lives means changing ourselves, right? And that's not always easy. Your dreams are going to require a new version of you, and that's where I'm here to help you. It means clearing out self-limiting beliefs, reclaiming your energy, releasing what's no longer serving you, releasing those old habits, and truly defining what it is that you want out of your next chapter. So I've opened up a private one-on-one -on -one mentorship series where for six weeks, we're going to be developing that clarity and preparing you to receive exactly what it is you've been calling forth. And at the end of the day, you are the healer. We're simply going to be activating that intrinsic and innate part of you. So the six-week mentorship series includes guided visualization meditations, habit and routine formation, subconscious reprogramming for confidence, unlimited support with me via text and email, weekly 90-minute calls, and so much more. So if you're curious about that, if this sparked your curiosity, you can go over to helendenham.com mentorship. It's going to be open not for too much longer, so I'm really excited to chat with you if this feels in alignment. And yeah, thanks so much for listening. Back to the show. Yeah, so with my father, I never really had a great relationship from the age of about 13 to about at least 18. And the reason being is because we just stop expressing. We, we were judging each other. And I was judging him. I'll be straight up. I was labeling him. He's arrogant. He's rude. He's, he doesn't know how to ask for things. He just tells or he yells. And it just became a wedge between us more and more and more. And the older I got, um, the more I was like, you know what? I don't need to talk to him. I can just treat him like this. And, and the, the difference is we're mirrors, right? We're all mirrors in relationships. So if I'm judging him, he's for, for sure, he's judging me. And he feels my judgment as well. So why would he be open and loving and caring when I'm judging him? Mm -hmm. When I'm talking shit behind his back. And I remember going to a self-development event um, when I was 19 at the time. And my mom asked me, she was like, do you want to go to this event? And I was like, yeah, why not? I was quite open to that. And that was talking about responsibility and blame. And that lesson hit me so hard because I was blaming him for how our relationship was. I was resentful at him and bitter and angry because he wasn't showing up the way I expected him to. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The mirror was showing back at him. I wasn't showing up the way he expected me to. Mm -hmm. And the moment I took ownership and I took responsibility for that lesson, the moment I opened up and was like, oh, shit, I'm sorry. And I took the lesson, and the lesson was that I was judging him. And I had a conversation with him at the, after, at the event, and I said, listen, I've been holding you responsible for our relationship. I've been making you the demon in this whole saga, and I'm sorry. And I don't want to have a relationship like that with you anymore. I want to have a relationship where I can actually say things to you and, and express to you and tell you that. And that was hard. That was vulnerable. That was scary. Um, but 
But the moment he heard that part of me and me open up, the moment he was like, yeah, I'm sorry too. Mm. And I'm sorry that I was judging you. And I'm sorry that, you know, and he opened up because remember we're mirrors. Mm -hmm. And it actually wasn't until I ended up doing the next, the advanced course in it. And it wasn't until I, he didn't do the second one with me. My mother did the second course with me. And I was in the course and I remember I had a problem with love or an expressing love. And that also came from my father, right? And my dad stopped saying, I love you from a very young age. And I stopped saying it to him. And anytime anyone would express love to me, I'd get weird about it. Like, ooh, okay, thanks. You know? And I made this whole idea that love means something huge. And what was interesting, Helen, is that the moment I let go of what I thought love was and so love that love could be the little things. Love could be the acknowledgements. Love could be a thought that comes in your head. Love could be so, love can be my interpretation and it's going to be different to yours and the next person. I was like, why am I holding back expressing love? Mm -hmm. Because he hasn't said it. And then I realized that love is not something that you wait for. It's something you give because you want to give, not because you want to get it. And that whole thing changed because I was like, you know what? I love him and I'm going to express it to him. And if he says it back to me or not, it doesn't matter because this is what I want to give. I'm not giving to get it. I'm giving because I want to give it. Mm-hmm. And the moment I started saying that and I and expressed that to him, because I said to him, why don't you express love to me? Why don't you say you love me? And he's like, I do love you. I said, I know you love me, but how come you don't say it? He's like, because I don't know, my father didn't say it to me and his father probably didn't say it to him. And, and I was like, see, this is exactly why I want to start saying it to you more. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to have this with my child. I don't want to have this with my son or my daughter. And each time I hang up the phone, I'd say, I love you. And it'd be weird at the start, but then he'd be like, I love you too. Mm-hmm. And now he says it to me. And we've opened up so much to the point where he comes to my events, he does yoga, he does meditation. I can say anything to him, Helen. And it, it started with me. It started with my relationship with myself first. Mm-hmm. It started with me healing that inner child myself and not expecting him to heal it for me. Mm-hmm. This is the most beautiful work too that I think any of us can do because not only are you doing it for yourself, which you also just said, it's like this is intergenerational work. So you're kind of breaking uh, you know, patterns throughout your lineage and it's kind of stopping with you so that your yeah. children and your lineage will continue down this new path, which is really beautiful. How do you work, you know, you mentioned yoga and your Reiki training too. I mean, what kind of spiritual practices have you worked in as well as these mental practices that you're going through to keep yourself centered? And, and I guess the broader question is, how do you perceive this journey? How do you perceive life and your purpose here? That's kind of a big question, but yes, (laughs) I, I've done so many different trainings. Um, I've done my Reiki I did my yoga teacher training in India, in Madurai, in the South. I have done theater healing. Um, I've done timeline therapy, 
hypnotherapy, NLP. Um, I've done somatic work. I've done a lot of different trainings. And the reason why I, I still do trainings to this day is because I don't believe there's one way to heal or coach someone. There's so many different avenues. And it's not just a mind thing. It's a body thing. You know, our body stores trauma. Our body holds emotions. Our body stores memories. You could be walking down the street and something triggers you and your body will have the same reaction you had when you were a child, which is crazy. It is, yeah. Right? You could hear a song and be like, oh, and get a certain feeling in your body because it's stored in your body. And unless you release that, unless you're aware of that trigger, you're never going to heal it because it's in your subconscious. So I love to combine a different, different types of somatic work, um, yoga for movement, because, you know, when you're breathing and you're, you're breathing, you're allowing the emotion to move. And what do we do when we're, when we get triggered? What do we do? We hold our breath. We tense up, right? Because when we tense it, we're trying to control this, this experience. Oh, I don't want to feel that. Uh, right. But that's actually not releasing. So your breath is your best friend. Mm -hmm. It's the key to expression. When I am expressed, when you feel like when you, when you're holding on to something, just imagine that you've got something with your mom and you're like, I've been wanting to say this for so long and I've got resentment and I haven't said it and it's building and building and building. That blockage is unease. That unease turns to disease. That disease is a blockage in the body that will cause a disease. hundred mm percent. -hmm. Right. And then, you know, the feeling you get when you finally express something to somebody truthfully and honestly, even though it was scary, when you release it, there's two things that are going to happen. You're going to have um, a great feeling because you've finally released what you've been holding on to and expressed and allowed the flow. And you're going to build more confidence in yourself. Because you're not holding back. Every time you hold back, every time you suppress your truth, what you're doing is you're telling that inner child, hey, don't say that. You don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. Don't be like that. And you're telling your inner child that she comes second best. And that subconsciously tells you you're not worthy or, or you don't deserve to be seen or heard. That other people's feelings and emotions are more important than yours. Mm. And that's something that I did for years. Yeah. What do you think your community struggles with the most when you're working with your clients and you're leading these beautiful events? Like what are most people coming there hoping that they find within themselves or, or what are people struggling with? Do you think? I know it's different for everybody, but is there a yeah, pattern? It is. Um, the clients that I target, I mean, I work with, with one-on-one -on -one with a lot of high performers and high achievers because that's who I was, right? So because I understand it, because that's experience that I went through, that resonates with me, Like, right? And the biggest thing that they struggle with is why are you a high achiever in the first place? Because there's something that's missing inside. I need significance or I need approval, right? We are always striving for the opposite. Like I don't, maybe you didn't feel enough as a child. Maybe you didn't feel worthy. So what do you do? I'm going to become super successful. 
I'm going to take my business to the next level. I'm going to get people to love me. Right? So most of them struggle with I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. A lot of them struggle with perfectionism. A lot of them struggle with the people pleaser. Why are you a people pleaser? Because you want acceptance. Because I want people to give me the love that I've been craving my whole life. So I'm just going to mold into this character for you just so that I can uh, hang out with you and I can be seen, but I'm not really actually connected. I'm not feeling connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is such an important lesson for all of us to just hear and resonate with because when I think of like, why do I want to make money? Why do I want to be successful? Mm-hmm. When we get down to the root of the why, for me, it's always about freedom. And that's my my code. It's like, I just want to feel free. I want to make mm-hmm. money so that I can have that freedom. And I think if we can all kind of get down to that level of like, why, why am I even chasing this? Or why do I have this desire in the first place? Get back to that root cause. Then we come into that place that we've been searching for the whole time. Well, let me, let me ask you this question. What is freedom? What does freedom mean to you? What does freedom look like? I think freedom for me is maybe this is a deeper issue, but it's self-reliance feeling like I don't need to depend on anybody for permission to do or be anything. Um, which actually is, it's kind of like it goes in this cycle because now I'm learning how to be more open to community and help and ask for help when I need it as well. But yeah. freedom definitely looks like, uh, the freedom to choose and, and to do, to do anything I, I would like okay. without restriction. Okay. And let me ask you another question. If I was to ask you as a child growing up, who did you depend on and who you like, I never want to depend on anyone before. What experience happened to you for you to think that I don't want to depend on anyone mm-hmm. again? Well, definitely. I had, my mom went through a huge shift, like a midlife, like wild shift, which I've talked about on here before. And I think there was a time when, when she left our, our home and it was like so shocking in those formative years. And I ended up not speaking to her for like three weeks. And um, that's so unusual in my family. We're very communicative. And, and that was, and so I was like, if she, if, if there's a potential that she could leave my life for any amount of time, I need to make sure that I'm good. Like, yeah. I never need to, I never need anybody else to be there for me. And I think that also mirrors, I think I'm noticing the finances and love actually mirror a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's there's a, a direct good question. Cor- yeah. That's, see, there's a direct correlation with finances and love for sure, because it's like, what we do as human beings is go, the more money I earn, the more worthy I am, mm-hmm. the more worthy I feel, the more I deserve. Right. And it's such a direct correlation because people think talk about money, but they're like, oh, I better not say this much or that much because that will mean I am this. If I have only this much in my account, that I'm only this worth, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a direct correlation for sure. Mm-hmm. But see how just from that moment, from you being with your, your, your mother, your mother left, right? I'm super close. I depended on you. And all of a sudden... I feel out of control. I don't feel certain. I don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. I never want to feel like that again. So then what we do as children is we, we build like attachment styles is, is I'm never going to happen. That's never going to happen to me again. No one's ever going to take my power. And also, I know this is, you know, not the place, but you can cut this out if you want. How is that then transferring into your relationships mm-hmm. with your partner? Mm-hmm. 
or partners if you if you're in a relationship because it's like there is the fear if this person leaves am i going to be okay mm-hmm. there is a fear of abandonment there which i also had and i still have and i had to constantly talk myself into i feel safe i'm safe i'm safe mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i'm still working through these it's interesting to be mm-hmm. like all right it's like like you were saying earlier like wisdom is knowledge applied it's like i'm i'm i feel like i have the knowledge but applying it is the phase that i'm in now because i find yeah. that like i don't even allow myself to get into serious partnership unless i feel like i'm so financially ready and secure and i'm in a place in my career and my life because I, I literally just don't want to depend on a man. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm also trying to be softer there to be like, it's okay. Like you can be seen for exactly as you are. And when is that even going to end? At what point am I even going to be comfortable letting somebody else in anyways? And, and there's the part of the control mm-hmm. because I didn't, I lost control. And how old were you when you lost control when your mom left? I think it was 13. Yeah. Yeah. So at 13, you're like, I had lost control. I felt helpless. Like these are all the things. So this is what I would go into. If you were a client of mine, the first thing I'll go into is like, okay, we need to heal the inner child. We need to go into the forgiveness. Mm-hmm. We need to go deeper into the resentment and we need to take the learnings because there's some beautiful things that have come out of this as well. Mm-hmm. If I didn't go and not receive the love from my father and the emotional support, I would not be an emotional intelligence coach today. Yeah. I would not be helping thousands of people speaking on stages. Like I would have no drive. That was my why. Mm-hmm. But then there's got to be a point in your career or a point in your lifetime where you're like, okay, is this old way of thinking still supporting where I want to go to next? Because what is abundance, right? What is freedom? Mm-hmm. Freedom is a feeling. Freedom is a it's something that we feel like okay i could feel free right now not need much money but the fear that i feel like is coming in with you is that if you do get connected into a relationship and you really like this person and then they leave and i've opened up my heart i could have the same feeling come up when my mother was when my mother left mm-hmm. so they need healing mm-hmm. there yeah for sure. Yeah. That's beautiful work that you're doing. Do you think that like, this has always been your calling, your purpose? Do you feel, was there like a shift that you had when you went into leadership work or, or do you still kind of have this multi-hyphenate lifestyle? I think the moment I started to realize how I was living from about 19 and how I was a victim and how I things were not working out for me. The moment I started doing the self-development work, the moment I started taking responsibility was the moment I started to realize that I can create anything. Mm. And it wasn't only until I looked at myself and I looked deep within myself and started to take responsibility and I started to heal certain parts Mm. and get really interested in why I do what I do, that I recognize that we are all mirrors, right? We all, we, everybody wants to be seen, Helen. We all want love. We want, to, we want to be accepted. But you can't do that until you give that to yourself. Mm-hmm. What are the parts that I'm still not accepting about myself? What are the parts I'm still hiding and avoiding and pretending not to know? You know, and as a, you know, I'm about to be 39 and it's funny because I'm like, oh my God, I'm almost 40. I'm like, how much longer do you want to care about other people's opinions? 
-hmm. How much more are you going to put emphasis on the external? Right? And this is what traveling has done. This is through going through experiences of constantly getting rejection. It's really taught me how to really embrace myself and go, you know what, Emil, this is you and this is fine. And the more I learned about myself and did more work and I went deep into self-development work, like court, like so many courses, like my, my first online coaching course was a two year course. It wasn't like a two week. Oh, I got certified. It was like, no, it was two years. It was like, I was supervised coaching everything. And then I did other courses and I just practiced and practiced and practiced. Cause in my head, I was like, the better I get and the deeper I go with myself, the deeper I can go with my clients and get great results. And this is why I'm able to be on stage and coach in front of a thousand people or more and do a live coaching session like that, because I trust myself. Mm -hmm. And because I trust myself, I'm fully present in that moment. And when you're fully present with someone in that space, magic happens. I can't even explain it because it's not something that I'm like, oh, I'll say this next and this is going to happen. It's like, oh, let's dive into where this is going to happen. Let's see where that came from. And all I'm doing is I'm looking for patterns. Mm -hmm. And once I, because I've done the work so long and, and I've got different avatars and I know the characters, I'm like, oh, they're doing this because of this. Oh, they're acting like this because of this. Mm -hmm. And the more simply you can break it down for people, the more they're able to then go, okay, I never knew that this was happening in the background and I'm getting these results. And it's the most satisfying thing you can do. Mm. Yeah. You have such a beautiful curiosity to you. Mm. It's like, it's, it's really cool that you've gone through all of these different iterations and yeah, I mean, like you were saying earlier, it's like, we wouldn't be where we are without these perceived failures and, and nothing is truly a failure. Like how do you perceive failure at the end of the day? Like, is there such thing? No, mm -mm. no. And, and that's the funny thing is because I had to rebuild my relationship with failure I had to say that instead of failing means you're bad or you're wrong or you're not worthy, it means growth. Mm -hmm. Every time I fail, I get a lesson at the end of the tunnel and I get to use that in my next voyage. Mm -hmm. I have this poster in my room with Nelson Mandela and he says, I never, I never lose. I either win or I learn. Yep. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And, and it just reminds me. Yeah. And you were mentioning too, I mean, you went through these peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. So even though you're hitting a valley, like the peak is right around the corner and you're bringing up all those lessons with you. So it's not like it's just straight up all the time, which is kind of relieving to know that it's, this is, we're just in this human experience. And it, it still happens, Helen, like even just like I'm transitioning from as an emotional intelligence coach, I'm rebranding and working with a marketing team and where we I'm literally about to launch a program for coaches and straight away in my head, I was like, am I just going to say that I, I train coaches now? And like, all of a sudden, you know, and, and the doubts and the stories and they still come up and the judgments. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, okay, cool. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. That little criticism. Thank you for that little, that trying to keep me safe. But what is my why? And I have to go back to the why and the why is to make, build more leaders to impact more people in the right way. Mm. And that's more important than this guy's excuses and his story that sits on my left shoulder and tries mm. to talk shit. Mm -hmm. hmm. 
Amazing. Emil, thank you so much for your, for your honesty and for taking us through your journey. It was, it's really been so cool to walk through this with you. Um, and thank you for my little coaching moment. <laughs> you really thank you. something in me. It was awesome. So if people <laughs> want to learn more about you, connect with you, work with you, um, tell us everything. Um, so yeah, there's a course that I got coming out around February 22nd. So you can apply for that, which is, uh, but you have to be a coach and or a healer and you have to be coaching at least six months so if that's something that interests you um you can message me on instagram um at emil steamboat and um yeah if you want one-on-one -on -one, you can apply but that's for like my high-end um high performance clients so mm -hmm. yeah awesome well i look forward to seeing more reels and yeah uh, <laughs> thank you so much all right, my friends, thank you so much for being here and hanging out with us today. I hope that you're feeling inspired and lifted and called to action in some area of your life. Uh, of course, everything we chatted about is linked in the description below, so you can find links there. And a couple more things from me. If you go over to HelenDenham.com, you can sign up for my weekly Self-Care Sunday newsletter, which is just a chance for me to spread some love and touch base with you in your inbox. <laughs> and also, I've recently opened up a one-on-one -on -one mentorship series. So if you've been wanting to work with me in private, in a mentorship that's a six-week series and you can find all the information on my website as well i also have a self-mastery course called cultivating confidence available um, on my website you can also find all the past podcast episodes and guests uh, links to my music and blog posts and merch all the good stuff so i'm so grateful that you're here and uh, i love you i'll talk to you on wednesday Bye.